Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men are going up to God at Bethel, will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Afterward you will come to the hill of Gal, where the Philistine garrison is. And it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city, that you will meet the group of prophets coming down from the high place with the harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them. And they will be prophesied. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you, and then you shall know what to do. <coughs> so what does Samuel do that morning with uh, Saul? He anointed Yes. Now why does he anoint him? Why does he pour oil on his head? Well, yeah, but why does he anoint him? Because God told him to. Yeah, but why did God tell him to? What's the deal with anointing somebody? Isn't that like acknowledging authority? Not exactly. There's a good answer to this. <laughs> What's Saul's role going to be? King. What do you do with the king? You anoint him. That is a part of what would be done for a king. He'd be anointed to be the king. The anointed one, that's what that's really saying. So, literally, Samuel takes this oil, he, he, anoint, he pours it on his head, and he says, Has the, not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? So this is Samuel uh, choosing him, calling him king, sort of consecrating him. This is not yet going to be known. He's not actually going to rule, but he has been selected and he's been anointed. And then Samuel goes on to tell him that he's going to encounter some people. And we've already seen how Samuel seemed to know a lot about what was going on in the life of Saul and, and all of this. Well, he knows what's going to happen on the way back. He says, you're going to find these two guys, and he tells him where in verse 2, and what are they going to tell him? <coughs> the donkeys have been found. Then in verse 3, he's going to find three guys. And what are they going to do for him? Give him, give him some bread. Now, think about the appropriateness of those two things. What are the things that Saul has been concerned about up to this time? The donkeys, and his dad, and they're out of bread. They didn't have any money. Pay the singer, so they don't have anything to eat. So he's kind of dealing with the concerns raised earlier. And then the third thing is, when he comes to that hill where the Philistine garrison is, ding, ding, ding. That's part of why of Saul's mission is to exterminate the Philistines says you're going to meet this group of prophets. You meet two men, three men, now you meet a group of prophets. 
And what's going to happen when Saul meets this group of prophets? Yeah, the Spirit of the Lord is going to mightily come on him, and he's going to prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Wow! Why that? What's the purpose of the Spirit of God coming upon him and him prophesying and being made into another man? Is it just a sign of God saying, this is who I've chosen? I think it's more than that. So he's able to do the things he needs to do? I think so. When God gives somebody an assignment, he always equips and empowers the person to do the assignment. Saul, to be the king of the people, needs the Spirit of God on him. And, and God takes the initiative here in sort of transforming Saul to accomplish this task. You know, he becomes another person. He needs to be another person. He does things that are out of character for him so that he's really uh, blessed in a way that's going to enable him to become the king. Um, you know, so what I see in that is God didn't just say, okay, I'm going to give you Saul and I'm going to do everything I can to yank the rug out from under him so he can't do his job. No, God's giving him every opportunity to do his job well. God is blessing him and helping him to be equipped and to have the spiritual uh, abilities that he needs to be able to become king. And then he says in verse 8, And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and when I come down, you'll offer the sacrifices. Wait seven days until I come to you. And we have to remember that statement for a few chapters later. But Samuel's already told him at the very outset of this, there's going to be a time you're going to go to Gilgal, and you have to wait seven days until I come and offer the sacrifice. All right, comments or questions on these first eight verses? Nine to sixteen. Let's see him fulfilled. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another hope, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, "What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets?" And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore began a proverb, a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets. When he finished prophesying, he came to the high place. <coughs> Saul's uncle said to him and said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkey. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been fed, but, uh, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell them. So, these things happened. All the signs came true. You know, and he comes to this uh, hill, and the prophets are there, and he starts prophesying. And what do people say when they see Saul prophesy? <laughs> wow. I never would have thought he'd make a prophet. <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing you know, the initiative of God in the life of a man who thought he was on a donkey hunt. 
You know, what he gets is totally different than what he set out for. And God is making him the kind of person he needs to be. Then Saul's uncle comes to him and starts asking questions. And he says, what did Samuel tell you? And what does Saul say? The donkeys have been found. The donkeys were found. I personally like the fact that Saul has enough self-control to hold a secret. I don't know that it's Saul's role to declare himself king. Sometimes we'd never be able to do that. Somebody gives us any kind of an honor, and we can't wait to rush and tell everybody, look what happened to me. Look what I've got now. There, here's my new toy. You know, here's my new position. You know, everybody, no, Saul doesn't do that. He just calmly, well, he told me about the donkey being found. And uh, he's going to wait for the Lord to reveal in his time the role he wants Saul to fulfill. Comments? Questions? Yes. Well, I think it's like he didn't come from a prophetic family, did he? I think it's more that idea. Yes, Tim. This is, you know, changed his heart. Um, do you have any thoughts on how this is being equipped and things like that? What, do you think he knows the relationship what is happening here? I don't know what I'll say about Cause, that. Because it sounds like also, because later he's going to lose. That spirit. I mean, I forget exactly how it says, but then. Yeah, the spirit he, of God leaves him. And then he goes crazy. You're right. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't know if I mean, he becomes a spiritual person. God, God enables him to have a spiritual perspective and focus that he didn't seem to have before, but I don't understand all what that would involve. Uh, I actually heard uh, the that a verse was connected to that. Um, I think it's in 1 Timothy somewhere. I'm terrible with references. Um, but God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I heard that verse connected to what happened to Saul, to changing his heart, to giving him a, a spirit of power and love and discipline. And that's really a spiritual, and they're really referring to the spirituality in that. And we see beforehand that Paul was, or Saul was a very timid man at that point, um, as far as not having a lot of confidence, not having a lot of uh, drive spiritually. But we see that after God changed him, that was changed. Okay. Very good. Other thoughts? Yes. Um, the question about uh, who is uh, who is their father? Um, uh, the phrase "son of a prophet" uh, could often just mean there was a man that followed a prophet. So the person may be asking, "What is who is the prophet that they're following?" Okay, that's a good good thought. Yeah, like that. Other thoughts? When he prophesied, we don't know exactly what that means, but obviously the others recognized that it was something from God. I don't know how that was displayed or what that means exactly, but Saul started doing something that everybody else could say, that's not from man. I agree. I can't tell you what. Obviously he's revealing God's message, but in what form that you know made that more obvious? It wasn't know. like a foreseeing type prophecy because you couldn't confirm that until later. Yeah, so, and, and the prof, idea of the prophet is just to speak for God. Exactly. It doesn't have to be a right. future telling. Right. So I don't think he's fortune telling or something here. But, uh, right. Yeah. Seth? Um, this is just one of many examples we have in the Bible where someone plans to do something and then God says, I want you to do it this way. Uh, and don't, 
the application does is we may make plans, but when opportunities arise to serve God better elsewhere, even though if they're not in our grand scheme plan, uh, to follow what you know that would serve God the best. Okay. Very good. Good comments. All right. Well, let's see what happens here then. First uh, Samuel 10, uh, 17 to 27. Therefore Samuel called the people together uh, to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Medjewite family was taken. And Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the other people from his shoulders upward. upward. Samuel said to the, all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel said to the Samuel told the people the of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own house. Saul also went to his house to give you. And the, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But certain worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? And they despised and did not bring him any presents, but he kept silent. So Samuel gets the people together at Mitzvah. And he says, Look, God did all this for you. He brought you up out of Egypt. And he delivered you not only from the Egyptians, but from <laughs> other nations who oppressed you. But what have you done? You rejected the Lord and you wanted a king. So come here. Present yourselves and we're going to select a king by God's decree. So it, it's just a tragic thing that God had provided for Israel, cared for Israel, delivered Israel, but they still didn't feel secure with God. They needed a king. So when they come near, what procedure is used to select the king? Lot. Casting lots. Now, do you understand the idea of casting lots? I mean, What's the purpose of doing that, and what, what does that mean? <laughs> it's a way of, I guess, through what we would call random chance, letting God decide. Yes. It's kind of like drawing straws to see who gets the short straw. I don't know exactly what procedure they used, kind of leaving it to chance as to which tribe, family, person was chosen. But the idea is that this gives God the opportunity to superintend that and cause the lot to fall on the proper person. Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
So the Lord is able to control this. And in this open way, it's going to be a way of demonstrating to everybody this is God's choice. Everybody's going to see that's who the lot fell on. Not that, you know, Samuel engineered this or it was Samuel's idea. This is God's way of showing he's, here's who I've chosen. Well, sure enough, who does the lot fall to? Saul. And so they're going to make Saul king. He's going to have a minor difficulty with this. What's that? <laughs> Can't find well, Not there. And what happened to it? He was hiding. You know, you certainly can't accuse Saul of politicking for the office. He clung to it tenaciously after he got in, but he wasn't really wanting it to begin with. So he doesn't even take it. You know, he, he, it's, it's really kind of funny, you know, how he does, deals with that. And, uh, and so they find him, and, and Samuel presents him to the people, and what can the people see in him? Hey, he's tall! <laughs> we got our tall king. And uh, so they're impressed, long live the king. However, it's interesting. Was everybody in favor of Saul? No, there's a few worthless men who say, how can this man deliver us? I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter who, what you do, somebody's going to object. Isn't that true? You know, it's just kind of funny. That even selecting the king they were looking for, some of them don't like it. So we really have a three-step procedure in getting the king. We have that anointing. Now we have him being chosen by Lot and publicly presented. Then there'll be a, a later confirmation of his kingship after the first battle at the end of chapter uh, 11, uh, chapter 12. All right. Uh, comments or questions on any of those things? Yes. Now, what are we really supposed to make of Saul hiding? I mean, is that humility and wanting to yeah, like keep the secret, or is this like cowardice and lack of trust? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it at least was not seeking this attention. I mean, I wonder if it wouldn't be much like us. I mean, most of us would not like to be suddenly presented before the whole nation as the king. It would be kind of intimidating. That's kind of the way I've taken that. I don't necessarily take it as a bad thing. At least it's a better attitude than later when he wants to do anything to keep from relinquishing the kingship. Somebody got a better answer? Yeah, right. Well, he seems really focused on himself and how inadequate he is. And after he rises to power, he's still focused on himself and how powerful he thinks he is. Uh, you know, compare that to David, who was just a kid, yet he wasn't afraid to step to the front and do the work that God wanted him to do. You know, he wasn't proud, but he also wasn't, you know, with eyes turned inward and thinking about, you know, how little he was. Good point. I can buy that. So if he was more God-centered, perhaps he wouldn't feel so inadequate and wouldn't feel so <laughs> adequate later on. You know, being God-centered certainly helps us with both insecurity and pride, which I agree are both, you know, sort of uh, symptoms of being, uh, being self-centered. So maybe that's the case. I don't know. Other thoughts? Yes, Gio. I, I do think it's worthy of notice, though, at the very end of the chapter where these people that didn't like him and voiced that opinion, it says that he, he kept his peace or kept silent about it. 
And he could have tried to put them to death or whatever, but he seems to not feel like he needs to respond to them. We'll see after, at the end of the next chapter another event with that that shows his lack of trying to take revenge in any way. So that's encouraging. Clint? I just can't help but keep thinking about what happened in the end of Judges, because in verse 17, Samuel called the people together to the Lord in Mizpah, and in Judges 20, verse 1, that's where all Israel gathered to war against the Benjamites, and you know, we pointed back to, well, you know, Benjamin is the least significant tribe because of that event, and and now God is choosing a man from the tribe of Benjamin, the least significant tribe, to rule over them. I wonder if that's a you know another statement to them. I had not thought about that, but that's a very good point. Yeah. And a lot of times you can see connections, even in like places and things like that, that sometimes, at least for me, I just don't even think about. But that's, that's a helpful, uh, helpful thought. Good connection. Other thoughts? All right, I'll tell you what I think I'm going to do. I just don't like, I just soon not break it uh, after this. So. Let's take a fairly brief break.